Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Bullshit Detective podcast. Uh, my name is Dave Brown. I had to think about that then. Strange. Anyway, and today my guest has been Sam Turney. Now, the subject of the podcast was expectation versus reality, um, which always reminds me of that that meme of a horse, which is a pencil drawing of a lovely horse, but the back end of it looks like it's been drawn by a by a four-year-old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of about those well the conversation turned out to be really about those experiences we have those things we go to do where we we have an expectation of how great it's going to be and it turns out to be less so you know also like those those impromptu nights out you have when you don't think they're going to be very good but they end up being the best times you've ever had but anyway have a listen i hope you enjoy it remember to subscribe and i will catch you briefly at the end bye just added this little bit in because I wanted to talk to you about patreon.com. Patreon.com is a website that allows people who produce content to monetize what they do. Now I've been doing this podcast for four years now. It's always been free. It's still going to be free but patreon.com enables me to to allow people to contribute financially to the podcast. So a bit of income for me and actually more importantly a bit of an opportunity to invest in my podcast in some equipment to make it sound nicer, all that kind of thing. Um, I'd like to develop my podcast further. It's come a long way in those four years. And well, assuming that people like it, which I think they do, I've had some good feedback. So in order to continue and improve, you might want to go on to patreon.com forward slash bullshit detective and you can make a donation. You can make a monthly donation, 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 which would be the price of a cup of coffee or a beer or a packet of sweets or some broccoli from the supermarket, that kind of thing. It's up to you. Uh, No pressure. If you don't want to, that's fine. You can carry on getting your podcast. If you want to contribute, you can support the podcast so that everyone can have a podcast. But anyway, enough said. Patreon.com forward slash bullshit detective. I will let you now get on with the podcast and stop bothering you about money. Cheers now. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Not smashing it today? No, well, I got up at five as usual. So I've been to the gym, meditated. Um... What did I do? Played around ice, golf. I read three ice bath, this morning. Green drink. Yeah, I had two of those actually. <laughs> Freshly blended in the smoothie. Um, yeah, and then I kind of um, got to about that sort of filled my day until about half six, and then um, had to have a nap. Yes, that's what happens to me when I get up at five o'clock. Yeah, by about, by about two. I'm knackered. You're flagging. Yeah. Well, I find the hardest thing about getting up at five is um, obviously you have to you have to talk about your um, sort of general wellness and how you always smash it and get nine hours of sleep. And so, you know, basic mathematics means that the 5am club are going to bed at six, which is, well... Well, so essentially, essentially what these people have 
is the um, the sleeping pattern of a toddler. <laughs> do they not? Yeah, they do. I saw an interesting, <laughs> um, an interesting meme actually recently. Um, I can't remember who shared it. It was on LinkedIn. Um, and it said, you know, the the the, uh, the sort of the persona versus the reality, and it had influencer smashing it, motivational speaker, philanthropist, mental health advocate, five AM club, etc. And it said the reality is um, unemployed. Well, look, I think yeah, that's that's sort of like a let's say a, a, an exaggerated version of it, but overly but, simplified, yeah. But look, the reality. Well, my, okay. My perception of the reality is that that everyone on on social media, and I think if we, you know, we talk about LinkedIn because we're both, I mean, we're both active on there. Um, everyone's dressing it up a bit, um, you know, to some extent or another. So they're making themselves that you know, even if even if they're not lying, they're only posting things that that shed them in a good light. Of course. So even even the sort of the tragic backstory. I used to be really rubbish at everything, but now <laughs> I'm brilliant at stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, I suppose over time you just start to see the, the, the kind of the formulaic approach to content. And you, you kind of see this from, you know, I, I've never been on one, but I know people have been on these, you know, these business growth courses and stuff like that. Um, and it's there's just a formula to it. It's just this is how you do everything, and it will get you loads of business. Yeah, which which it it generally doesn't, in my experience, and the people I've spoken to. So even people who sort of work with, you know, LinkedIn coaches and whatever, um, it's like actually, yeah, it doesn't doesn't mean you'll get more business. No, and you have to. Means, you know, there'll be there'll be a, a process, and it will still be a numbers game. Um, yeah, I, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I think. Well, and you still, you still have to have the fundamentals right. You still have to, um, you know, basic marketing stuff. You still have to be advertising, you know, marketing in the right channels and knowing who you're marketing to and knowing what your product is and getting your branding right and all that kind of stuff. So, without all that, none of, you know, no methodology is gonna, gonna, give you success. Yeah. So you still got to put the real work in. I suppose that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just to just circle back, you know, I, I kind of uh, poked a bit of a jive at um, some of the stuff. And it's, and yes, you're right. Obviously, social media is about portraying the best of yourself. And it's, you know, if you go back to before social media, your, um, you know, your family holiday or whatever was snaps of you in a restaurant on the beach, having fun, eating ice cream. It wasn't, your dad's telling you for the 10th time not to do something or yeah. breaking something. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, you're, you're right. It hasn't, it hasn't changed. It's just one of those things that's been amplified by social media, uh, which it does, which it does to, you know, all aspects of our life now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does worry me. Um, and just, just to sort of, well, just to say now, actually, that the subject we, we've chosen to talk about today is um, expectation versus reality was the title. Yes. So I just want to sow that seed in people's minds so that that's 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 kind of what they what they know we're, we're going for and the conversation will go where it goes so we don't have to worry about keeping yeah. the subject as such but but you know that that sort of when when you said that what that brought to mind there's there's the the well-worn meme of um the drawing of a horse <laughs> yeah which is the which is the the you know the really nice pencil drawing of a horse at the front end and the back end is you know similar to what a 
what a four-year-old old would draw. I was still impressed. Out the the artistic skills of the the back end of the horse, I thought was still quite good. I thought pretty good compared to my drawing yeah. skills, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right. It's that. It's that. Um, that starting point. Um, you know, the kind of the the dream that's sold. Well, it's 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 the marketing, isn't it? The that they're selling us something beyond what we're actually getting. Yeah, it's beyond it's beyond deliverable in the parameters and variables that are applied. Be that the time scale, be that the budget, um, be that what's physically deliverable, what's realistic. Yeah, that's that's um, exactly exactly what it is. It's um, I posted that um, I think yesterday or Thursday actually, but the a good example a good example that's been slightly slightly twisted and taken out of context by media and a bit of sort of bandwagoning is the um <clears throat> the marble arch mound and um, <laughs> get i mean getting away from the getting away from sort of the cost is it worthwhile etc because that's you know that's a question for the council for the taxpayers of that area of westminster etc so just taking taking that conversation out of it obviously there's been plenty on it and <clears throat> i probably the first couple of times i saw it i probably jumped on it as well because it's it's so easy to do. It's another, you know, clickbait thing. And you've already mentioned LinkedIn. It's one of those things that gets piled on. But <clears throat> I actually read sort of read about it. And when you when you think about it, <clears throat> obviously, yes, the, the the initial CGIs, like anything, are are obviously really impressive. And that's that's yeah. what's sold. Um, but the reality is it's although it's a temporary structure, it's not it's not yet finished. Yeah, the whole thing was covered in foliage and you can't you can't plant a tree that's over a certain age you know it needs time for the um all the flora and and whatever to sort of grow in so it, we're, it's almost being judged on day one it's like i don't know going to going somewhere like the new forest 500 years ago when it's a couple of saplings and saying oh, i don't think much of this <laughs> or yeah well I, I and i and i i agree with that but also the you know those like you say those cgis the the marketing for it represents it as something that it's not going to be. So if that is the case, then they shouldn't have opened it yet, should they? They yeah. should have waited, waited for all the trees to grow and got it to a point where it looked like that. And then they would have, would have had less of an issue. Exactly. But um, I think the issue you know, would be the um, two to five million it's cost to, to build and then waiting five years for it all to, <laughs> all yeah. to be. There'd be some questions asked. Well, and then and, and the, the real test is, you know, does it have the impact that they were hoping for? And that is for people to... Well, people to pay money to go on it. Um, my understanding, from what I've read, and I haven't read a lot on it, is, is that, that it was about bringing people back to the back to the high street. Yeah. Um, I, I think... mean, maybe, maybe it will. Maybe maybe people will go there and think, "Gosh, that's a load of shit." I'm going to go to the high street and <laughs> do some shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It's getting people there, and with with the pedestrianisation of Oxford Street and the potential pedestrianisation of Regent Street as well, obviously they're trying to create a placemaking thing. I think the West End is probably, the West End's probably talking very broadly, it's probably suffered a bit. Obviously the pandemic would have hit places like Oxford Street really, really badly and all the restaurants, yeah. etc. But I think that the other thing is that with, with buildings like the Shards and other buildings in the city, that's where people are flocking to, to look at, at London. I think that, the West End, apart from um, apart from the bar on top of Oxford, sort of by uh, Oxford Circus Station, um, things called Apre, 
there's not really anywhere of any height to view because it's all listed Regency buildings. It's there's yeah. not a great deal of viewing platform. So I guess that's part of the part of the driver. And as you say, you know, create that create that uh, expectation, which <laughs> which reality might not meet, but you know, hopefully it's it's uh, somewhere nearby. Well, no, no, I think I think this is the problem. I think this is the problem with with consumerism, with capitalism, with marketing, is that we are being sold, we're being sold the dream, and we and we do it ourselves. I mean, again, another another thing that popped into my mind while I was thinking about this podcast was the last, um, the last gig I bit I went to, which was a good few years ago now. Um, it was me and a mate. It's a band I really like. It's the Queens of the Stone Age, um, and we got ourselves ready. We met up. We went and sat in the pub for a while. And we delayed and delayed and delayed going. And eventually we did go and we missed the support act and caught sort of like what, you know, one of the first couple of songs that they played. It was at Wembley Arena, which is called yeah. something else now. As I'm showing my age now, calling it Wembley Arena. <laughs> um, and we got in there and Wembley Arena is pretty terrible acoustically. And we very quickly established that we didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> as much as we love the band it's like well i can't really even make out the songs very well <laughs> yeah um it sounds terrible there's just all these people here and we're, we're drinking warm pissy lager yeah we don't like so we left we left after about half an hour really um now that's a pretty poor product in my view yeah for, for me I'm not a youngster anymore. I'm sure when I when I was young, I'd probably be so smashed that I wouldn't care. I'd be bouncing around. But as as a couple of middle aged guys, we just wanted to hear the music. That was more important to us. Yeah, exactly. It's become less. It's when you were younger, it was an excuse to to get lashed. But yeah, as you've got older, actually thinking, I want to go and see the band. You want to have a few beers, but it's more yeah. About the music. Yeah, and so yeah, you, it's uh, the the veil has been pulled from it without the beer. Well, and again, I think that's that's probably that's what that, that's what comes with age. It's like the the Wizard of Oz, you know, yeah. the Wizard at the end. You 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 see more of you see the world more like that. Yes, and I suppose that's what people call cynicism, but actually it isn't for me. It's actually, you just start to see things see things differently. You see things more in the context of maybe what's what's real. Yeah. Um, rather than based on your expectation. So so going to that gig. We went, we went to it based on our expectations. Yeah. <laughs> the expectations we built ourselves, probably because I hadn't been to a gig for, for probably a decade. So I still had those sort of, those thoughts of what it was like when I was younger. Yeah. Funny enough, my dad had a very similar experience. He's, um, he's, he's a, a lot older than you. My dad's in his 70s now. Yeah. Um, but he obviously, you know, his heyday was the 70s. Um, yeah. So, you know, he he used to love proper live music and stuff. And he always says it was better back in the day. Um, but he and a couple of mates, they call themselves, obviously they call themselves now the um, the Chardonnay Rockers. So they've covered yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but they, they still go to gigs. But anyway, they they all um, they were all big, um, like Santana fans, like Carlos Santana. Yeah. And um, they'd all been to see him. I don't know if they went to, you know, what, what gigs and I'll misquote where he played and what the years were, but you know, through the seventies and eighties, they went to a lot of um, Santana gigs. Um, and then they went to one, this is quite a while ago, but say like the early 2000s, something like that. 
um, I think he re-released a new song or something and decided to do a gig. And they went to it thinking, he's back, this is going to be amazing. Forgetting that, you know, 20 years had passed since they'd been to see him. Yeah. He was going to be 20 years older. They were 20 years older. So it's probably not dissimilar to your experience with uh, Queens of the Stone Age, but they said, it was awful. And they said, you know, the, the bloke was um, not 100% with it <laughs> for various yeah. reasons and just lost, you know, lost the edge and stuff. And they, after they sort of said, well, actually, of course, it wasn't going to be what it was 20 years ago. It goes, it goes without saying, but they sort of, you know, built it up a bit in their, um, in their minds of what they wanted it to be. Yes. They really sort of bought into it. And, yeah, time back in sort of expectations for reality. I think a lot of that we're probably we're probably guilty of that ourselves with the looking forward to an event, or you know, it's the anticipation, it's the build up, it's the planning, the travel route, it's where are we going to go and eat before, it's the the party, it's it's all of that, isn't it? I think looking forward to something is is often better than the actual event itself. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, and in the last podcast we were talking about, uh, it was Ben Kosravion, and we we were having this sort of conversation he's 20 years younger than me um he sees me as a miserable old git and i think he's this sort of excitable puppy and we were talking about it was actually the, the, the sort of the start of the conversation was around ordering a curry because he <laughs> asked me a question a couple of weeks ago you know don't you get excited when you've ordered and it's like no i don't no it's, it's just we order a curry it's nice i enjoy it and yeah. that's it yeah um so different people perceive things and respond to things in different ways and and i guess as you get older you you start to see things differently um you know we talked a bit about music it's like for me at 53 that i don't hear much that's that's that much different to what i've heard before yes yeah so that, that's not that's not that it all sounds the same because it doesn't um because i love music so I, you know I, I i guess i know a fair amount about music um but i'm not really surprised by it yeah much. yeah i read i read something about this um not that long ago actually and the it, it was more about how time seems to pass faster as you get older. And it said it doesn't. And that's, it's actually a bit of a bit of a, this, this based on this research thing that I read. And when I say I read this research, they probably spent you know, a lot of time looking into this properly. And I spent about five minutes skim reading it. But the, the broad gist of it was that it's about um, new experiences. So when you're young, you know, when you're, you're talking about when you're a young child, obviously almost everything you do is for the first time and it's all new yep. and even you know we know that when you do something for the second or third time it's still you know still got that sort of new shiny feel but when yep. you get into your 30s 40s 50s you you've done you haven't done everything but you've done a lot so the new experiences become less and that's that sort of ties into why time seems to pass faster because you haven't got the landmark first time of doing stuff and this this was this was probably a linkedin set so talks about you should parachute every day or you should do yeah. a bike jump every day do something scares you it was a bit sort of over the top in its um description but i think there was actually some sort of truth to that um as you say kind of it it's a battle of the uh middle-aged cynicism well and I, and I think that's why we can have some significant experiences later in life by doing things that we haven't done before you know parachuting is, is i mean I've, I've done it i did, did that some years ago but but th those are the kind of things and you do see the stories you know the the 80 90 year old man or woman goes skydiving and all that kind of yeah. stuff so we, we can still have those but there are well there are you know there are less opportunities because we're not we're not turning a corner and seeing a digger and get, getting excited about it every time we see one well you say that dave i mean i, I well using cranes are quite <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, you know, but, but again, you know, so I suppose we're all different. Some people do get excited about, yeah. about certain things. I don't know, plane spotting comes to mind, which is something that I can't, I just can't get my head around it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I understand what it is. Um, yeah, not, but... to any, not to any detail. Yeah. Now, I, I, I would look at a plane and I would even, you know, even, well, actually now it's a bit different. I think, you know, going back 18 months, I, so I live on, I live on a Heathrow flight path, probably, I guess I'm probably about 20 miles in a straight line from Heathrow. Um, yep. So, you know, used to seeing all commercial jets going over. I also live near Farnborough Airport, so I see a lot of um, um, sort of private jets as well. And yep. going going back 18 months ago, probably wouldn't have glanced at them. But then certainly last summer, I remember the first couple of times I saw private jets or commercial planes going over and I thought, oh, where are they going? <laughs> seeing yeah. Supposed to be, you know, not allowed to leave your house at the time. <laughs> Well, and, uh, you know, I, I suppose, again, for me, I, I've worked in the aerospace industry uh, on, on on military and commercial aircraft. And, you know, I've been on the planes when they're at the airport not doing anything. So so that you don't have the, the mystique around it. And, also, yeah. and I know how these things are made. I've seen the nuts and bolts. I've seen the, you know, the blokes on the shop floor making stuff. Yeah. So so the mystique has gone. To some degree so i see you know people often oh it's amazing how they stay up in the sky and it's like no it's not it's science yes yeah <laughs> and yeah. actually you're looking at it in with your set of eyes which is this thing weighs a lot of it weighs a lot which it does but if you look at the amount of weight there is given the size of it it's very very light if you scaled it down to the size you know to a foot long yeah it would weigh a few grams Really? Yeah. I guess yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And then when you can so, the the power and the thrust of the engines or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, 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 there's not as much mystery to that as there, there would be to other people. So therefore it's, it's sort of, I, suppose, I can't remember who said it, but you know, it's like everything is magical until you understand how it works. Yeah. Um, in this, and, and I guess that's part of it. So as we get older, we learn more. You mentioned and, uh, You've done you've done a skydive a few years ago. How was? Well, I did a, I did a parachute jump. I did a static line jump, okay. not a, not a skydive. Um, so sorry, you, you were going to ask a question. What was the? So yeah, what was the? Um, what was the expectation? Be reality on that? Because obviously, the first time must be it must be one of the most, if not scared, apprehensive you felt. And then, what was the reality of it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was a long time ago. Um, so I'm not sure what my expectation was, but I, th- I think with anything you you start to, well, I do, and maybe other people do it differently, but I, I sort of start to run the scenarios in my head. Um, you know, what is it going to be like? And then then you get there and you kind of, you know, so you, you do, I think it was a couple of days, a couple of days training, jumping off bloody boxes onto the floor yeah. and rolling about and stuff. And then you, then you, if the weather's okay, you go and do it. So, you know, as, as you go through that process, you, you become more familiar. So you get clearer on what to expect. So, so most people will have some idea about how people land on the ground when they do a parachute jump. If you've seen it, you've got some idea. And then you go and start jumping off a box and you get a better idea. Um, I mean, the, the sort of reality where you actually do it is that most of that goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the reality for me in that case, it was, it was way more exhilarating than I expected it to be. But I guess you spend, if you spend a couple of days building up, although obviously the last step up to actually jumping out of a plane is um, is massive, 
yeah. into a couple of, as you say, from jumping off a box and, and up, up a few stages, you kind of, you're in the process and you're in the, you're in the arena of doing that, aren't you? So you're, you're kind of prepped. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I've done, I've done a few bungee jumps in the past and they're, they're those types of experiences that happen so quickly that you don't really, certainly at the time, get the chance to, to fully experience them because your body is so overwhelmed with the experience. Yeah, it's a bit like some people describe, and actually my experience of, of public speaking, which is something I've not done a great amount of, um, is that it just goes so quickly. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you often don't really remember much of it um, because your sort of body and mind just goes into this, well, whatever state it goes into, depending on 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 how good, bad, or you know how much you enjoy it, how much you don't enjoy it. Um, it takes it becomes a subconscious perhaps takes over a bit yeah I've, I haven't done much public speaking but um, a few few weddings not probably about two maybe three yeah um, and yeah obviously again it's that you have the apprehension beforehand but then if you know what you're going to say or at least have a good idea you kind of I think you stop thinking about it and it just kind of kind of happens and what I found is you, t- you tend to catch yourself about halfway through going oh shit I'm actually doing this <laughs> yeah so so again I think I think it's is you know and this 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 I suppose this this sort of applies to life is that, that initially there you know you do all your planning hopefully you've done enough <clears throat> you can remember your lines all that kind of thing and then you go into a state where you're you're, you're sort of hyper conscious of of everything <laughs> Yeah, that's the nerves and the sweating yeah. and stuff. And then you and then you get up and get going. And if you get going and manage to maintain your momentum, you just keep going. Yeah. You're on a you're on a roll. So so you're almost less conscious of things. It, for me anyway, my experience it just sort of all blurs into something that I can't quite describe. Mm. And you just and you just get it done. And like you say, you know, it's like shit. You, you know, you have these realizations halfway through. It's like, Jesus, I'm actually here doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um and look, and I think they're the times where 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 sometimes the wheels can come off yeah so that's where you you trip up and start boring and so you sort of you know a lot of the yeah a lot of the gurus they talk about flow and all this kind of stuff in a very airy fairy way but there's a you know that that's a label for a a particular kind of experience where where you're just sort of so in in the thing that you're doing that that it all just seems to be happening on its own and then you 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 sort of become conscious of it, and that's when you know you either you just got to keep going because <laughs> if you don't, it might all fall apart. Um, <laughs> one of the best things I, I used to play golf a lot. The best way to get your golfing partner to to mess up his game if he's playing really well is to ask him what he's doing today. How are you doing that? You seem to be playing really well. How are you doing that then? And then he starts thinking about all the things he's doing. Oh right, yeah. And it becomes so when people are playing. When people people are playing better than they normally do, it's because they're not thinking about it, generally. Yeah. So you ask, um, have you have you changed your <coughs> swing? Have you changed your swing? Have you? Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. You know what? What are you doing today? You don't, you're playing. You're playing out of your skin. What are you doing differently? I thought I'm a I'm a terrible golfer. In fact, uh, last last year was supposed to be my final attempt to try and get good at golf, and then. With um with lockdowns and stuff, it didn't really. I suppose to get lessons in sort of the springtime, yeah, like over the sort of late winter, early spring, and um with lockdowns and whatever, it didn't didn't happen, and consequently haven't played since. Um, but I was I was terrible anyway. Um, I never got to that point where I'd even realise 
what I'm doing. But yeah, I, I, I can appreciate the um, it being, you know, don't think about it because it's such a mental game. From a, yeah. not, not mental as in, you know, it's a crazy game. I mean, mental as in, it, it's so much in your in your head. But then the minute you start thinking about it is, is where it kind of unravels. But I thought golf was supposed to be a, I always thought it was a gentleman's game, Dave. You know, putting your, putting your opponent off is um, surely fun. Nah, it's all a bit of bants, isn't it? <laughs> but you know you talk about you know golf is a very golf is a very peculiar sport in that it's i suppose it's one of the just trying to think of other sports it's it's unique in that that it's a sport where you you're, you're on your own and it's all up to you there's no you're not responding to anything yes yeah 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 sure. no one's hitting a ball at you you're not hitting it back so so i think the reason for that is that you have you have the time to think you know if you're playing tennis you don't do you you no. instinctively oh, yeah. do stuff and, and the, the more experience you've got of tennis, the more, let's say, instinctive you can be, you know, the more you know that, that they do say this about, you know, the top players. They the reason if, if you if you try to return one of their serves, you wouldn't get anywhere near it. You'd be rooted to the spot. Um, the reason that they can do that is a that they've, they've trained and they're very physically fit so they can you know, physically move. But also they're seeing things in the other player that tell them where they're going to serve before yeah. they've, before they've even, you know, body position and, and things like that. Um, so they, they have access to information that, that you and I, you and I don't, but, but again, you know, with golf, it's, it's a similar kind of thing. You know, you, you start off not knowing anything or you might know something because you've watched a bit of golf. Um, and then you get some golf clubs, have a lessons or go down the driving range or, so, or whatever. But, but even within a, a a terrible golf player occasionally they hit a great shot compared to the other shots yes so they've done something they've done something with that shot that they haven't done in the other shots yeah and i think that's the sort of key to for me that's the key to improving it's like you've got to try and just try and sort of pin down those things and i don't necessarily mean how you swung the club how you stood often it's what was how you know what was your what was your state of mind when you were doing that yeah now, what was the thought? What was the thought process? So I used to work a lot in sports. So I used to do quite a lot of work on, on pre-shot routines, which is yes about getting getting set in the right position and picking the right club and all that kind of thing. But also, what's the what are the steps of thinking you go through to get to the point where you're ready? Yeah. On on your good days, so good days and bad days. So sometimes it it, it doesn't quite work out. Um. So I don't know. I don't know how this fits into. To expectation versus reality but i mean well even what you say you know golf is a is a is a gentleman's sport um that's the expectation but the reality <laughs> is that no people cheat i've played with people who cheat yeah i've seen them hit a ball in the trees and it's sort of oh i'm sure i saw that ball move a few feet yeah <laughs> donald, um, donald Trump, a famous a famous cheat isn't he Old donald apparently Trump. so apparently so and and i, I suppose it's it's I'm, it's fair to say I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing with golf, obviously the expectation being reality is, is that, I mean, obviously watching the pros make it look easier, but even even just going to, you don't even need to go to a decent golf club, you just go to the golf club that, you know, that you walk past or is in the local park or whatever. And the majority of golfers, or the majority of people that play golf regularly, they make it look easy. And so I think the expectation is, oh, golf's easy, you're just walking about and you just knock the ball it's not it's not that hard you only need you know three to maybe seven strokes per hole 
to sink it and it's just a nice walk outside with your pals and then you have a you have a beer in the 19th afterwards and that's yeah. the kind of expectation that you know it's it's always sunny and it's always you're playing in playing on immaculate greens but the reality is you, <laughs> the clubs probably aren't as good and you don't hit it and it's a frustrating game and I think yeah going back to that mindset thing that was certainly something for me is that as soon as you hit a bad shot start thinking about it. I think it's probably, it's probably the wrong sport for me. <laughs> well, I think, I think it, for me, it always comes back to um, knowing why you're doing something. So um, I've seen this happen with golfers is that they, they, they start playing and they, they do quite well. You know, the beginning's luck thing. That, that's not luck. That's actually, they're, not, they're just not thinking about it too much. Yeah. They're just giving it a go and they're having some success. And, and then they might have a little bit of success and improve. And then they get caught up in the scores. You know, the, I, I'm going to get better now. Right, I'm going to have some lessons and all this kind of stuff. And, and they might have started playing to spend a bit of time with their mates. Yeah. And then they get distracted by the scores and it becomes an obsession. And then they stop getting the thing that they originally wanted from it, which was to go out and spend a bit of time with their mates. So, yeah. so it, it, it becomes this thing that they're, they're, they're sort of going for something that they never really wanted but they've been distracted by the shiny thing. So I, I remember having a client once and he was, uh, I don't know, he was, he was a sort of low handicap, four or five. And I, I just remember, you know, asking him, what, what's the difference between a good day and a bad day? You know, and he's like, don't know. But he, he said he went off, he went off and, and played and we spoke again the next week. And he said, I, I know what it is now. I said, when I'm playing well, I'm paying more attention to what's around me, the trees, the weather, all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, next time you play, go out and just do that, like purposely. And he came back and he said, I had the best round of my life. Really? Uh, something as simple as that, because he was... Partially he was, distracted. Well, he was recreating what he does on a good day. Yeah. But doing it on purpose rather than just, oh, I'm having a good day. And, you know, and, and probably if he's having a good day, he's got a bit more time to have a look around because he's not all hunched over and <laughs> yeah, know, angry. I think the other thing about overly focusing on one thing is you get the law of diminishing returns, which, again is one of those great things that does apply to most things in life is that if you continually focus on one aspect and try and get it perfect. It'll be to the detriment of everything else. And the, the actual return, so, you know, you work on in golf, you work on putting, there's, there's an optimum of how good you can get regardless. Yeah. It's a diminishing return on, it doesn't, if you spend, you know, okay, you could spend five hours a week practicing putting, but you will lose your ability to, chip and drive etc which have a you know will have a far worse return on your um on your overall game yeah and i think that, that that's that's what differentiates the the you know even the very good sort of amateur players to you know that, that's what differentiates them from from the great players um but you have to be the kind of person that will obsessively do this thing day in day out I mean, the other the other side of it is that I, th I think there's and, and I've seen this myself in you know with some of the clients that I've worked with is you know and we we hear it talks about a lot more mental health in sport, um, and that's not to say there aren't many people who, who who suffer with their mental health, but but typically in sport this environment where you're constantly measured and judged, mm. and you're you you you're actually actively trying to get those small margins. That's where the focus is. You get to a level and, you, and it's all about how can I just shave another little tiny bit of a second off of this time and, and all those kind of things. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, you know, for some, it's the route to probably shouldn't use the word, but madness. Yeah. 
yeah no you you you're, you're definitely right and i think with obviously it's always it's always been there in sport you know for for 100 years there's always been the focus of the press and media yep. um and they've always you know chastised the player that's missed a penalty or missed a shot or whatever that's yeah that's that's kind of the media's job and we can go through the whys and wherefores of that um separately but you know that's what they do and they always will but then on top of that is that now because before if you like if you take for example Gareth Southgate in 96 obviously he got some he got plenty of stick in the media and he'd have had people you know shout things at him in the street but you think back to 96 at least there wasn't he didn't have an Instagram account that he had to have no persona he didn't have to be on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and obviously you know I know you can you can block trolls and whatever, but you get sportsmen are exposed and sports sports women and um, actors and presenters and you know, anyone in the public limelight. They, there's just so much more access to them before they could, you know, close the door. They could you know, yeah. run off to the Caribbean island or something. But social media and again, yes, they could deactivate all their accounts and just hide. But it's just it's just, they're just so much more accessible, and that on top of the exaggerated media um, barrages that they can get at times, it, it must be impossible. Like you say, when you're trying to focus on very fine margins, you're trying to work on a certain aspect of your game or whatever, um, having that on top of that, from a, like you say, from a social media and mental perspective, is, it must be impossible. Well, you know, it's the, it's the judgment, isn't it? I mean, interesting, you know, the, the, the reality versus expectation versus reality. I mean, even as sports, but people people build these people up into being these, you know, they're elite sports person, but they they build them up into being elite people, elite human beings. I've met enough of them to know that they're not. They're actually fairly dull because all <laughs> they do is sport. You know, they 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 have a very confined and regimented life. Yeah. So, so for me anyway, who's a person who who craves new things, it's like God. You know, these people are actually pretty pretty dull yeah in in the scheme of things for me so that's not that's just me that's my perception of them um but there i think that the expectation is created that they're going to be these wonderful people and some of them are dickheads (laughs) (laughs) and and actually arguably you've kind of got to be a fairly selfish person to do something like that because you have to make sacrifices and that will be time with family, time with friends, all that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at, well, I guess if you take any sport, there's an element of that. But I always think one, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a cycling fan. And cycling is, is ridiculous. You know, they, they, they'll go away on several, several tours a year. They'll have winter training camps. They give up so much in life, etc. I mean, it must be must be an impossible life. Okay, the money makes it worthwhile, and they get to ride their bike in the sun for some of it. But then, that's not all of it. It's not all roses. Well, uh, but they don't, and they don't all make a lot of money. I mean, yeah. I, I used to I used to do some work for it was a women's cycling team, so they're one of the, the top cycling teams in the country. Um, a much smaller team than than the than the real big in, big ones that you, you'd probably know. Um, and no, it, it's it's a really tough life, mm. you know. So and all right, women's sport doesn't, you know, there's not as much money in it as as in men's sport, and and that's that's a, another conversation to be honest with you. But yeah, um, the 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 life isn't that exciting. And even if you, if you and I went and did it, it might be exciting for a while. It's the same thing we're talking about. After a while, 
it's just geez you know I remember that in the last sort of full-time job I had was an interim contract I was I was in South Wales for six months so staying there during the week and the first couple of weeks I'm like I'm in this this nice hotel and everything's paid for <laughs> just yeah. have whatever I want and there's a gym and there's a pool <laughs> after after four months of it it's just Jesus I am going mad in this place yeah this is because it was sort of you know fairly remote I was at a car so I'd go to places but it's just like I'm just I'm just driving to places to get out of this hotel now yeah and then I'm going to go to the place and probably do the same as I would do in the hotel which would be have something to eat <laughs> yeah and it becomes it becomes the same a friend of um friend of my dad's worked for one of the um works for a, a large tobacco company and wasn't 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 that senior but you know senior enough to be flown first class a couple of times a month for different places for meetings and stuff and when I was younger I remember my dad telling me and I thought wow that's incredible like it's a it's almost like a James Bond lifestyle and um I said wow so what like flying first class and he said well it's sort of the same he said the seat's more comfortable the food's a bit better but ultimately you you get there at the same time you you, yeah. know, you get on the plane and get off the plane first um and like you know stay in five-star hotels and he said well again you know it's okay it's more comfortable it's better but ultimately it's no different to obviously it is but you know it's, it's not that different to premier in travel lodge etc yeah there's this yeah this expectation it's going to be amazing your life's amazing but he said the reality is that he spent half of every month he spent away in the far east or america or something yeah. away with his family and he said yeah sure the first yeah the first few months it was he he, he you know, Obviously, he thought, wow, it's amazing flying first class. And, you know, I'm staying in these amazing hotels. He said that wore off after about two months. And the reality was that he was living living out of a suitcase. Um, and, yeah, just living in hotels and whatever. And he said, yeah, just it's just not the, – the reality of it is not that great. Well, yeah, so, the, so the, 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 the sort of deeper human experience is one of being permanently unsettled. Mm. And, again, I think I think we – I think it was Tony Robbins, who I'm, I'm not a big fan of, but he, he said, you know, that there are certain things that we need as humans and it's like, you know, a sense of belonging to something. But but we need we need both certainty and uncertainty. And we we need those in different amounts at different times. So it's not about evening them out. So we can go for periods with lots of uncertainty. But at some point it, it wears us down. So we need to have something, you know, so it's like we can we can and different people are different. So some people can just do it, but we can be moving around, traveling around and be unsettled for a while. But we need to come home at some point. I mean, go on holiday, you know, for, for me, if we go on a, it's, it's that whole, you go, you go for a week, it's not enough. You go for two weeks, it's a bit too much. Yeah, the classic. Yeah, yeah. So you, get, classic, you get to a point. Classic, that's classic pool chat, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. But, but, but it's true, isn't it? So you get yeah. to a point where you go through that whole, the, the morning of the holiday, you're sad, you're, you're grieving and, and you, you don't want to leave, but you do want to leave. Yeah. And then as you go through the process of getting closer to home, you just can't wait to get there. And yeah. Just chuck everything down and have a cup of tea that tastes like real tea, yeah. <laughs> you know, all, yeah. that, all that stuff. So, so we, we, we sort of, I don't know, depending on our personalities, we, we, we crave both those things at different times in different amounts. Yeah. To an exaggeration, I, um, I worked when I was younger, I worked as a holiday rep and um, I also did the separately. I also did the, um, the whole kind of Australia, Southeast Asia thing and yeah. with both of those. You have the, you have the holiday, that holiday, that last day holiday feeling. I remember for both, I had that for about, for about a month, you know, you know, that so you, you talk about that last, 
the day you're going home from holiday that morning, and I remember having that for about a good month, sort of, you know, before I went actually came home, where it's everything I wanted. But then within within a, a day or a week or whatever it is, you, you want to be back. It's as soon as you're as soon as you have that sort of settled feeling and um, yeah, that thing you've been craving, as you say, of a, a normal cup of tea and once you've had beans on toast and watched EastEnders or whatever, you yeah. think, oh, I want to go back now. <laughs> you, yeah. You crave that uh, unsettled. I guess it's probably that. It's the um, it's probably something deep within us from when we went when we were you know true hunter gatherers and then we sort of left that nomadic lifestyle behind and sort of settled. It's probably rooted within our subconscious through generations and evolution, isn't it? Well, I, think, I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey, um, which is I mean uh, there's a book by uh, Joseph Campbell called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So that's a book around the the, the structure of stories, sort of Greek mythology, that kind of thing, and. And this is about, you know, the hero that getting a call to action and, and refusing it. And then at some point accepts it. He goes off on this, this hero's journey and but finally comes back home. Yeah. So even with traveling, we we still we carry out like we're like little turtles. We or tortoises. We carry our home around with us, don't we? Still. Yeah. And again, yeah. different people. Some people I'm, I'm pretty, pretty low maintenance. I mean, the last time we went on holiday as a family, we all had hand luggage. That was it. So I've got just a couple of pairs of shorts, swimming trunks, a few T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just wear everything as many times as I need to to, to not have to wash anything while I'm there. Yeah. Um, whereas someone else will take a massive, you know, massive suitcase full of Kit Kats. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but we, we, so we, we, we carry some certainty around with us. A bag full of stuff that we can rely on. Our wallet, you know, some money, whatever, whatever we need. Our toiletries and stuff like that. So, we still, even in all that uncertainty, we create a space of of certainty. True. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to that yin and yin and yang of we need an, a certain amount of or dif- deferring amount of certainty and uncertainty. Yeah. And if you go away, you've got you've got your your rucksack of certainty. You lose that, and your life falls apart, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> and then and then in in in, in your uh, I guess in your more kind of settled long-term life at home you say you have that slight element of uncertainty of um I don't know, looking for something new yeah well and I, th- I think that the current situation with the with the, the coronavirus um what what that's given people now is a a greater amount of uncertainty on mass so so now a, a lot of people are well they're, they're thinking will i still have a job you know, when furlough finishes, I think that's that, that we've got all that to come. Yeah. Um, but just generally, it's like, what's the world going to be like when this is over? There's uncertainty about other people. Can I can I trust this person? Not fundamentally as a person, but have they got this thing that I might catch? Yeah. So you get all that. So you so you can you can you can you well you know you go into a shop and you, people back away, don't they? Yeah. But more, but more so than they used to. You know, people might have got out the way to let you in, to let you come through the door. But now, you know, I've, I've had a few experiences where people have not realised I'm there. As soon as they do, they, they sort of leap backwards. <laughs> oh, crossing their fingers at me and, you know, you've got the plague. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, again, we, we have those times when we have, we have uncertainty or at least a perception of uncertainty forced upon us. And I suppose this does run into to expectation versus reality so we've had this expectation of what life will be like and then we get the reality 
the reality is COVID. So, well, the reality is whatever it is, and it's different. Yeah. There's, 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 there's the reality, and then there's how we perceive our own, our own reality. So I don't know. I think that sort of that come, that's brought us fairly full circle. I think. Yeah. Just one more question though. Um, you've been travelling, so presumably you've seen some of the sites that people go and see when, when people yes. go travelling. Um, so it, it sort of brings to mind. I've seen the articles you know, online where you have a picture of, you know, the, the marketing picture of, of Venice, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and then, a, then, and then, a, then a picture of Venice, you know, in the peak of summer, which is yeah. just absolutely mobbed by people. What, what if your? I mean, have you, have you, have you been somewhere that has met your expectation? Uh, where, where would I say met? I would say, so initially, somewhere that which exceeded my expectation is um, the temples of Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd sort of read a bit and looked at some photographs of, of what they were beforehand, but I hadn't, I hadn't really appreciated the, the scale and uh, the vastness of it. Um, so the whole, the whole site of Angkor Wat is, is far, far bigger than I'd imagined. Um, the scale of the temples was bigger. The age of them was different. Um, the state of state of ruin and the, of some and the state of um, how well preserved some of them were it was just so yeah. it was it was completely it, it blew my mind far more so um, and I'm not sure if they count as one of the I, I assume they are one of the seven seven wonders of the modern world. yeah I'm not sure I don't know, I don't know but, um, but yeah but that that certainly that certainly exceeded my expectation um, and then okay the other sort of the other standout big ones um, pyramids of Egypt. Probably so. I think I think retrospectively, it's it's very impressive. And when you look at the the science and how they were allegedly built, and the theories around them, and the conspiracy theories around them, um, it's quite. But actually seeing them, I don't think it, it it was kind of it was probably on par with reality. And then the one the one that's not the one that really is it, it wasn't as um, as impressive. And it was a very sort of touristy part I went to is the Great Wall of China, and that that was very orchestrated maybe it's a bit i should probably be careful as i'll have um i'll be, be followed by chinese spies but yeah um it, it was very orchestrated and it was that is the part you go to see and this is the part you see and right back on the bus etc um yeah but there we go that probably says more about uh <laughs> about that than that well no i think that you know even i mean that sort of brings to mind places like stonehenge where you know years ago you could you could go and wander about yeah just turn up and now now you you you're sort of you know you're, you're herded round in a certain in certain places so you don't get to experience them as much as you you might have done in the past and i understand why they do it because i want to preserve them but um but again i suppose we it, it sort of comes back to the marketing thing and by that i mean you see pictures of these things and then you think right i'm going to go on this trip and i'm going to see all these you know all these amazing places and then you get there and they're mobbed yeah. by other people. Yeah. You know, it's like being at the cinema with a man with a big hat in front of you. <laughs> it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Or being, being, yeah. at, a fo- being at a football match um, with some big geezer who keeps standing up all the time yeah. in, front, in front of you. Um, and I suppose that's, that's probably, they're probably my, my biggest, um, biggest differences between okay, expectation yeah. and reality is sporting spurs for many years. <laughs> yeah and and the ups and downs you know yeah. so expectation versus reality I, I used to go quite a lot but you know beating certain teams by you know beating man united 6-1 last season season before you know wouldn't have expected that 
and then you have the other, you know, losing to Colchester. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other side of it. I think going. I think that's the big thing about um, the Thames of Anchor. What is that? Is it the part of the Great Wall Channel went to, and also the the um, the Great Pyramid, well, the Pyramids of Giza? Is that there's only sort of there was one point you go to, and there were so many tourists there. Whereas, yes, what obviously being. I'm trying to think what year I went there. Yeah, it must have been. It was pre 2010. Yeah, more than 10 years ago. When you know, it wasn't exactly wasn't understood. I'm not, I'm not saying that I went there before everyone else. No, being such a big site and having so many places and being you know, Cambodia is a pretty awkward place to get to. Probably less so now, but it was then. Yeah, um, you kind of had that. Whereas with the Great Wall of China, you can fly into Beijing. I mean, you know, pre-COVID, you can fly into Beijing pretty fairly easily. You can get on the bus to the Great Wall of China. And similar with the Pyramids of Giza, they're only an hour from um, airport in um, in Cairo. Yeah. Whereas because it's a bigger site and because there's less people, um, you're sort of you can sort of walk around. You're less sort of fettered. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I feel for you as a as a Spurs fan. It's, um, <laughs> it's, I bet it's a curse. It's been a bit up and down over the years, but you know it's um. But but again, that's um, you know if if you supported a team and they won every week, you'd soon get bored of it. I mean, I I, I had these conversations when I was working with people. So so I was you know well it was, it was mental coaching I was doing. Um, and they talk about winning, and it's like right okay if you want to win, I'll I'll, I'll race you every week. Yeah, we'll get yeah. on our bikes and I'll yeah, yeah. race every week, and you can win every week. Is that okay for you? Well, no, I don't just want to win like that. Right. So you don't just want to win. You know, there's a context to it. There's a, there's, there's some, there's some things that, that need to be satisfied for you to, for you to achieve success. Yeah. And it isn't just beat, you know, it isn't just beating a middle-aged fat white guy <laughs> at tennis every week, is it? <laughs> um, so I think maybe sometimes we don't, we don't, I suppose, consider the reality we go and visit a place thinking this is going to be amazing, but we don't consider actually maybe some other people might yeah, be going there as well. Yeah, exactly. If I, re- if I really want to go there, I assume some other people really want to go there. So let's prepare. So, you know, maybe if we prepare ourselves for the crowds, for example, yeah, we would have a better experience by accepting that it might not be this thing that I've built it up to be. Yeah. Well, growing up, I was, uh, sorry to bring it back to football, but I, um, I was dragged up as a Chelsea fan through the 80s. <sighs> And um, <laughs> so in the 80s and 90s, yeah, Chelsea dropped down to the, the old second division, uh, yeah. you know, finishing, finishing the top half of the table with champagne time. Um, so it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't when I was grabbing, it wasn't a fashionable team support. And, no. um, and yeah, and, and yeah, all of pretty much, well, not all, most of, most of the people at school supported, there were a few Liverpool fans, but most of them supported Man United at the time because, because it was the time when you had, Beckham, Giggs, um, Skulls, and the Neville brothers coming yep. up from United, and they had Hughes and Cantona. So you know, most people supported Man United, and I saw Chelsea. And, you know, I saw Man United beat Chelsea. Um, so we used to we used to go, we used to sit on the old members' benches. So standing had been outlawed, obviously posted. Yep. Um, but at Chelsea instead, the members' benches, which were kind of semi-allocated, they weren't really seats, but it's like concrete shuttering. They're like concrete steps, basically, which you sat on. So it was kind of it was kind of regimented, but it was only sort of, it was pretty much like standing. So, um, so that was my experience of football for years and years and went away with Chelsea. Um, my dad used to take us to quite a few away games. Um, and eventually there was the cup run in the seventh, in the, sorry, nine, in uh, 97, the FA cup run when Chelsea won it first time in you know, years and years and years. 
And that was after the summer of Euro 96. So, you know, football fever was quite big at the time for me. And um, Chelsea won the FA Cup and that was amazing. And then, you know, five, five to ten years beyond that, obviously Chelsea then bought by Abramovich and all that went through in the early 2000s and then eventually won the league in 2005. And having, you know, followed Chelsea pretty closely through, you know, for a decade of the 90s and early 2000s, when I remember the day Chelsea won the league in 2005, I remember feeling really flat. And it's something that goes back to expectation of reality and, you know, your perception and anticipation of something. And it was so flat. And it, and it for me, it changed then. And it just, it just wasn't really the same. And, you know, I still, I still follow Chelsea, but I just kind of, I've lost the, the desire. We kind of, we've, we've got, we got the big shiny trophy. Yep. We've done it. And it just kind of lost, lost a bit for me. Yeah, you know, I, I do, I do still, still follow them, not as closely. Um, but I guess, I don't know, maybe it's that being, being a bit of an underdog and success being uh, more of a rarity, and less of a commodity. Well, no, I suppose, I mean, and just, just to sum up, because I, I do, do need to go in a sec. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in the concept of actually do things without expectation. So just do things for the doing and then you get what you get. So it's a bit like that, you know, it's almost if you go into something without expectation or low expectation, um, I think from a playing point of view, if you go in with the expectation of losing, you're more likely to. If you go in with the expectation of winning, you're more likely to. It doesn't mean you will or won't. Yeah. But if you go in with no expectation and just get on and do it, then you're more likely to succeed. Whatever success is, it might just be you don't get beaten by as many goals against this great side. Or it might be that you beat them. So, I don't know. There's an argument for lowering your expectations. So, your experience of, um, you know, travelling, the thing, the Great Wall of China, if you had known what to expect and you'd gone in expecting, you know, less than you originally had done, you may well have enjoyed it more. Yeah, quite, quite well. Or, or, or you might have decided not to go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I don't know. I think that's probably just a a, a good place to stop. Yeah. So I, I think that's a that's a good a good place. Yeah. Agreed. So thank you, Sam, for coming on. Um, and no doubt I'll I'll see you around on social media and such. I'll see you soon. All right. Mate, cheers. See you Bye. Thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of the Bullshit Detective podcast. My name's Dave Brown, and thank you very much to Sam for coming on today. Uh, Yeah, hope you enjoyed that one, and please remember to subscribe so you can catch future episodes. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.